Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. Um, we're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, that is sleep. Um, I'm a chronically terrible sleeper. I'm always thinking about, you know, what type of person I would be if I got better sleep. Um, so we've decided to talk to one of the experts. Um, he is Dan Gartenberg. He's joining us from New York. Um, he is the CEO of a company called Sonic Sleep. They have um, developed technology which is um, aimed to give you a, a better sleep at night. So thanks so much, Dan, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's just start with really the basics. Um, how, what does it mean to our brains um, not to get a good night's sleep? Sure. I mean, so basically sleep is one of those things like breathing and uh you know, eating, or it's something our body really needs to do. Uh, so basically every organ is impacted by sleep deprivation. Um, and they're showing that it's basically linked to almost basically every chronic health illness. So um, cancer, there's really strong links with cardiovascular disease, a lot of causal uh, studies showing the relationship there. Um, what we're going to talk about a little bit is the link between sleep deprivation and Alzheimer's because um, sleep kind of functions as cleaning out um, a lot of like the um, bad plaques that build up during the day. Um, but then, you know, also things that you might not even really think about, like your perception of pain is actually in, in, um, you're more sensitive to pain when you're sleep deprived, um, which isn't so surprising that you have a hard time having empathy um, and you're more likely to take risks when you're also sleep deprived. So it's one of those things where if you could just, you know, improve your sleep a little bit, it's going to improve a whole swath of not just health needs, but also, you know, your ability to perform cognitively at your job and in your life. Let's talk a little bit though about what's actually happening in our brains. And I mean, I can start it off in layman's terms and you can tell me if I'm right, but I have been told that sleep is a time where we associate new learning with old learning. So um, we have a filing system within our hippocampus and new learning is associated with old learning and therefore that's how we're making memory. And if you're not, you're, you're doing this process when you sleep, if you're not getting a good night's sleep, then you're not effectively um, optimizing that system. Is that is that correct? That, that's generally um, accurate. Um, I would, get, I would get a little deeper into sort of describing how the sleep stages actually work and what's going on there. Um, so basically throughout the night, you'll cycle into light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, and then REM. Um, and you kind of have that process about four to five of those cycles a night. And as you sleep, you gradually get less and less deep sleep. So deep sleep is thought to be sort of the more regenerative aspect of sleep. Um, it's associated with human growth hormone, as you said, like memory abilities. If you get like less deep sleep, it's associated with like a 40% decline in memory performance. Um, and so basically there's this theory, it's probably the one that is the um, thing that most people in the sleep field um, kind of support. And this is theory, it's called the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis. Um, so it's basically this idea that during the day, you build all these excitatory connections um, and associations between things that 
maybe do or do not totally matter to your well-being and survival. Um, and then what happens during sleep is that in deep sleep, you sort of downregulate all of those memories that happen during the day such that the more salient things to your survival rise to the top. So it used to be like, oh, the predators in the jungle are in that area. Don't go over there. Now it's like, oh, what did uh, Mindy say to me about social media, about me on social media or something ridiculous like that. Um, so, um, so basically you're getting all the things that are relevant to your personality and well-being um, get um, kind of um, giving, getting preferential treatment during deep sleep. And then you replay and integrate that information during REM. I mean, that's kind of what you talked about um, with integrating the new information from the day into your personality and your old memories. And that whole relationship has to do with like a thing called sleep spindles. But yeah, it has to do with uh, the hippocampus and transmittal of, of uh, information to, to that part of the brain. So what are we aiming for? Are we aiming for a longer period of deep sleep? Is that better for our brains? Yeah, so most people would think that deep sleep is better. Um, as, as you get older, we like to think about deep sleep as sort of like the new fountain of youth. Um, as you get older, you'll actually decrease in deep sleep by about 50%. Um, so, you know, like a 20 year old. Like what, what are we talking about older? What, what age? Yeah, so like the average um, deep sleep percent um, when you're like, um, 20 is usually around 20% of your deep sleep. Um, and by the time you're like 80, it's around 7.5%. Wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. So it's a little bit hard to figure out what's causally happening. Like, is it that you're aging and that's making you get less deep sleep or do you just need less deep sleep as you age? There's definitely something to like, they have these cool studies where you'll like expose a mouse to like a novel environment and they'll actually get more deep sleep that next night because deep sleep is how we integrate new information basically. Um, and it's also how we clean out, um, you know, our, our do cell recovery and also human growth hormone and other, you know, beneficial things to our body. Um, but it could be that if you were just to stay more active cognitively as you're older, you know, keep learning new information, picking up languages, doing crossword puzzles, um, that that could actually help you get more deep sleep. And there's other interesting interventions that, you know, me and my team are really exploring right now on how we can actually make people get a deeper night of sleep. Okay, I wanna get to, we're getting uh, lots of questions, so I, I wanna get to some of the questions. Um, one from a viewer saying, can you really catch up on sleep after a long period of sleep deprivation? Um, thinking of new parents out there, or is the damage done once you go for a few years without quality sleep? So that's a good question. Like, yeah. are we, is it just like an all-nighter that you've played, or is that really damaging, or is it cumulative? Is it like if we're, like me, I'm a chronically bad sleeper. I wake up during the middle of the night almost every night. Okay, so there's a lot of questions there. So uh, first off, you really can't make up for a night of sleep totally. But that being said, like if you are sleep deprived, and then you do, a, and a lot of people do this where in the weekdays, they'll sleep deprive themselves and then they'll sort of binge on the weekends. Um, 
it would be better to binge than to not binge, right? Right. Um, so it is good to recover to some degree, but you're never going to fully get that sleep that you've lost back. Um, and also another thing to think about is sort of a modern Western conception that you need to sleep continually for eight hours throughout the night. When I talk about sleep need, it's, I'm really talking about it over a 24 hour period. Um, so a lot of times eight hours, it doesn't matter if we do four here, two there, another two. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, you don't want to totally mess up your circadian rhythm. That's another part of this, where if you have erratic, erratic sleep times, your sleep quality will actually get worse. Um, for example, like, because it's not aligning with your circadian rhythm. So like my circadian rhythm is like set to like 12, midnight to probably like eight in the morning. I'm kind of a night person. Um, and so if I were to yeah. set our own circadian rhythms, is that right? That's just a pattern of when we sleep. How do you define circadian ry rhythm? So, yeah. So this is like a whole big question. So this is a whole, this is like a whole huge question here. So, um, you know, it's called chronobiology actually, and it's a combination of genes and the environment. Um, so you can shift your circadian rhythm, but you also have genes that dictate whether you're a morning person or an evening person, probably like 30% are morning, 30% are evening, and then like 40% have like a more flexible ability. And you can shift it sort of like as, you know, with epigenetics and your responsiveness to your, your genes basically respond to, to your environment um, based on sunlight exposure, um, timing of meals, exercise, energy exposure, even like socializing late at night and being really stimulated during that time can sort of shift your rhythm. So the more regular your rhythm is, the better your sleep quality is actually gonna be. And that's one intervention that I often will give to um, some of my clients, I'll do some coaching sessions sometimes, is to try to align your, when you should be alert and when you should be asleep. And that's actually gonna inherently improve your sleep quality. Okay, so um, we have another question. Um, this viewer is saying, aside from the accepted understanding that a poor night's sleep can affect normal cognition during the following day or even more than one day, which we've addressed, um, is, is it your contention that improved sleep by itself can reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease? Because of course, we know um, bad sleep can really impact our cognition in the longer term um, and can increase our chances of dementia. So if we're getting good sleep, does that decrease our chances um, of getting dementia? Yeah, so I mean, there is some causal evidence that that would be the case. So basically they've done a study where they've um, sleep deprived people and they've seen that there's an increase in this thing called beta amyloid plaque um, when you are sleep deprived. And that's associated with Alzheimer's disease basically. Um, and so that's pretty strong evidence. And there's no. also, yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I want to interject this. I've also been told, again, in layman's terms, um, that we have something, um, a process that called microglia, which are the janitors of our brain. They come out at nighttime when we're sleeping, and they're the ones that clean all um, they're, they're clean all the gunk out of our brain that shouldn't be there. Um, and that's a natural cleansing process for the brain. It, is, it, could that be, if we're not getting enough sleep, 
microglia aren't as active and therefore maybe um, we have a higher um, chance of getting plaque buildup. Yeah, um, I'm not, I'm a cognitive psychologist. I'm, some, some of this, uh, the neuroscience stuff is slightly um, not my field. I, I have some other people I work with that are more of an expert in that. Um, but yeah, based, I mean, just generally, you know, sleep functions, it, it cleans out damaged uh, cells in your brain. And there's pretty strong evidence that it's sort of a neuroprotective uh, mechanism against things like Alzheimer's disease. And we actually have grants with the National Institute of Aging where we're trying to study a population of people 70 and up um, and show that we can do these interventions um, that makes them have better quality sleep um, and they'll actually improve their memory performance and potentially, we don't have the funds for this yet, but in the long term, reduce the likelihood that they would get Alzheimer's. That, that, would, be, that would be an amazing, amazing thing if we could show that. So Dan, tell us a little bit, what should we be aiming for? I mean, is, are you comfortable with the eight hours? Is, should, we, should we abide by the eight hours? Yeah, I love this question because um, everyone, you know, in the no no offense to to the news media or anything, but oftentimes people want such a straightforward answer to this. But really, like sleep need is a distribution on like a bell curve, like it's a statistical thing. Um, and so, like the uh, American Academy of Sleep Medicine, like basically like the top twenty researchers in this field got together and wrote a consensus report that adults need um, at least seven to nine hours on a regular basis. Right. Um, so that's a pretty big distribution um, and everyone's a little bit different. Um, one thing to keep in mind, and so probably like 99% of people need between seven and eight hours, probably like 60% um, of people need like between eight or like probably like 50% of people need between like eight and eight and a half hours. Right. But one, one thing to keep in mind here is that in order to get that sleep amount, you oftentimes need to allocate more time in bed than that because you're not sleeping a hundred. You said you wake up in the middle of the night, which is very yeah. normal. Really. A lot of people do that. Um, if you, if you're staying up for a long time, then maybe it's more of a problem. Um, but uh, so it's still considered healthy sleep, actually, if you spend more than 85% of the time in bed asleep. That's sort of the cutoff for insomnia. Um, right. So, so in other words, if we wake up in the middle of the night for, let's say, 20 minutes or something, then go back to sleep, that's okay. That's, I, wouldn't, that's, I wouldn't call that a problem. No. That wouldn't be a problem. So what would you call a problem? I mean... Basically, if it's like much long, that's kind of on the fringe. If it's like a half hour to an hour, I would call that more of a problem. It's really when we're spending like large portions of the time um, trying to fall asleep and not being able to. When it hits that 85% cutoff, I know it's a little bit arbitrary, but that's like the clinical definition of when someone has a problem. We could always get better, right? But then, then the other side of the coin here if you're spending 100% of the time in bed asleep, that's probably indicative of you sleep depriving yourself because you're so tired, you're just sleeping 100% of the time. So really, you want to shoot for like 90 to 95%.
Okay, so now let's get to how much control do we really have over our sleep? Um, and what are some of the interventions? We're getting questions like, enlighten us, share some of um, those interventions. What can we do to improve our sleep? Yeah, so the things that I am really interested in is basically, uh, I'm, I'm imagining a future where you go to your doctor and instead of them prescribing some you know, sleep medicine to you, and also the, there's very not such great evidence for even less invasive things like melatonin, but especially like Ambien can be like a really dangerous drug. I mean, we've seen like the weird Roseanne stuff and, but really the big problem is when people are older, they can fall down with some of these drugs and you know, that causes a whole slew of issues. Um, so I'm imagine, we're imagining a future where you go to your doctor and instead of them giving you a drug, they actually give you a software intervention that's shown to be more effective than the drug. Um, and that's what we're trying to build. And we're trying to do that by basically manipulating sound, light, and temperature while you're sleeping and sort of creating these optimum sleep habitats for people that actually makes their sleep more regenerative. Um, so like sort of a low hanging fruit thing that we do in our software, um, Sonic Sleep and you know, probably a lot of people do this naturally is just have a sound mask, like a fan to block out noises that wake you up in the night. That's sort of like an easy thing. What we're doing is we actually measure the sound in the room. Like if your sleep partner is snoring, for example, and actually the sleep partner is oftentimes a major source of sleep issues. Um, and we'll adaptively play sounds based on what we're measuring in the room that sort of counteracts the snorer and reduce so we shouldn't like have separate bedrooms. We should actually replace the noise to block out the snoring. Is that I mean, I, maybe it'll come to separate bedrooms at some point. Um, but that's kind of what I would hope is sort of more of a last resort. You know, um, we're trying to do also things where you know these Apple watches and other devices now are getting very accurate um, at measuring people's physiology. And we're actually going to be able to detect the snoring and then in real time play like a vibration that'll try to get the person to roll over. Um, and when you roll over, a lot of times you, you stop the snoring. The other thing is there's this really sort of sexy finding in the literature that has motivated me for the past like four years where you can actually play a sound that emulates the frequency of your brain waves when your brain is in deep sleep. Um, and it's, uh, and that frequency of deep sleep brain waves, they're called Delta waves. It's like a very different way of the, for the brain to process, um, than is in like waking life, like in waking life, our brain waves are much higher frequency, like 0.8 Hertz is a Delta wave. That's like very long wavelengths. And they've shown you could actually play a sound at the same pulse rate as those brain waves. And since the brain is essentially you know, electrical circuits, the auditory cortex picks up that sound and it sort of spreads out through the brain and the brain produces more of these delta waves. And, and delta, yeah. delta waves are when we are in deep sleep. Is that right? I mean, I heard references to delta waves when we meditate. Is it the same delta waves? I would guess that if you're getting delta waves when you're meditating, that you're actually asleep. Um, I think usually theta is more associated with meditation. I, 
maybe like the, you know, the real yogis out there can do this, but I think for, for most people, um, you're only really getting the, these regenerative delta waves when you're actually a, a, when you're actually asleep. So your technology actually recreates the noise that will put us in the deep sleep stage. Is that right? Yeah, and the hard part about the science here is you can imagine, and this is sort of, we understand this science better than anyone else, is how you play a sound so that your brain responds to the sound, but it doesn't wake you up. So, you know, if we play the sound too loud, we'll actually wake the person up. That's not going to be a regenerative thing. So we'll, we'll actually stay up all night with our participants, look at their brain waves on something called polysomnography, which is like 16 channel EEG, and systematically play these sounds at people. And you'll see their brain waves shifting into these more deep sleep states, basically, when we're playing these sounds at them. Um, and so we know how to play the sound at just the right sound pressure to produce these regenerative delta waves that are similar to the deep sleep brain waves. Okay, and in perfect timing, because I was just gonna ask this, we have a viewer who says, you know, do you have an example of the sound you mentioned? And are there multiple sound wave patterns people can use to help them sleep? So how would we know what to listen to and what's right for us uh, in order to help us sleep? And how would we <coughs> access that? Yeah, so um, I, I have this queued up actually because I, I thought that you know this might be a question. So, um, so this is actually I'm going to actually play right now the sounds that we play at people um, when when they're in the lab. Okay. Okay. Sounds like someone hissing at you almost. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Um, so it's not like something that in like conscious life, we would find that very soothing. Yeah. Like playing this in a way that, another. this is another one that we play by the way, which is even less soothing. But it's all about the, the pulse rate. Um, basically um, it, that, the sound is coming on only for a brief period of time. What, um, what do you mean by brief? Is it seconds or a minute or? Like a, it's like a 50 millisecond burst of sound, basically. It's all about the pulse rate that the sound is happening at because the brain is picking up on that, that pulse rate. We've manipulated a ton of different things in this experiment, like the frequency and all these other things, but really the, uh, it's, it's the rate that the sound happens um, which produces this effect in the brain. Um, I, um, I, I guess what surprises me when you played that sound is, um, wouldn't that wake you up? I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a light sleeper. I, I so would that's the hard part. Um, that, that's the hard part of the science. You're, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. That's the hard part of the science that we're doing. So how we do it is well, actually, everyone has a very different arousal threshold. Um, and this is all about, you know, a bigger picture here. And what we're trying to do is create very personalized interventions for people. And so what we'll actually do is we'll creep up the sound very um, over a very gradual period of time. So it'll actually start out almost imperceptibly to you. 
um, and then we'll creep it up. Um, and then when we detect that it's, we can detect that it's disturbing you way before you're consciously aware of it. Um, and when we detect that disturbance, then we'll bring it down. And then we sort of find your auditory sleep sweet spot for playing the sound. Um, you kind of need an, we, ha we have a version that works right now um, with just the phone and we're rolling out with the Apple Watch. It's gonna be even better basically because um, using heart rate, we can get at a lot of these things. Right. So what is, is there anything that's actually available to us now? Is there like yeah, when you so right now we just have the uh, in sonic sleep, we have the sound mask and the deep sleep stimulation going off sort of based on a timer, just based on the fact that you're most likely to be in deep sleep during that first cycle of sleep. Um, and that's how um, we've implemented it so far. Um, but in the next like month or two, we're rolling out this Apple Watch client. We're publishing a paper that we're actually showing that our algorithm is more accurate than things like the Fitbit um, and some of these other uh, actually clinical de uh, grade devices. Um, but the cool part is it's not just more accurate after you wake up and it tells you some information like, oh, you got X amount of deep sleep. Like, oh, who cares? Like, what can I do with that? We're trying to do this in real time, basically. Um, so we know what stage of sleep you're in in real time, and then we do X, Y intervention to try to make it more regenerative, basically. So earlier um, you mentioned that, you know, different people have different um, needs for, for sleep. Um, so how would I ever know how much deep sleep I need versus REM versus, you know, other types of sleep? So, I mean, the first thing is, first off, I would say more deep sleep is better, just generally. Um, and also deep sleep is tied to REM as well. Like there's a relationship there. Um, so usually if you're getting a lot of deep sleep, you'll also be getting a lot of REM. Really what happens when we get older is you exchange deep sleep for light sleep. Um, so just in general, like for, you know, certain people have sleep disorders and whatnot, and it's a little bit different. Um, but for like the general population, you want more REM, you want more deep sleep. Then, then the question for the individual differences, but then it also gets to things like, you know, if you're dealing with a personal problem, um, you know, if you um, are recovering from an illness, like these are all things, it's not just personalized where you need a certain amount, um, you know, every night, you know, you might need a different amount on diff in different circumstances as well. So it, it gets a little bit complicated. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely going all towards precision medicine. We have a, a viewer that's watching right now who um, comments that, you know, patients with Alzheimer's have a decreased ability to generate Delta responses during sleep. So could it be that, you know, sleep disruption is actually an effect rather than a cause of Alzheimer's? Yeah, so understanding the causal relationship here is like the hard part of doing the science. I, I, so, I mean, this is why in the study that I, I referenced before, what they would do is they would systematically manipulate not deep sleep, but sleep duration. And that's what almost every study has done. Um, it's pretty difficult to manipulate deep sleep 
that's a more difficult study to conduct. We actually have done, run that study um, where we'll actually systematically disturb deep sleep and try to show different cognitive outcomes throughout the day. Um, doing that in Alzheimer's populations is, that's a hard, like, it's almost like an amoral study to run to something like, um, you know, they're already having this problem. You don't want to like exacerbate it more and stuff like that. Yeah. So like, I don't think that that study has actually ever been run as far as I know. Um, so, um, what do you think about, um, ex you know, other factors like alcohol, for example, we always hear, you know, alcohol impacts your sleep. Um, do you have any view as to, you know, other things like diet and things that we have control of, um, impacts our sleep? Yeah. I mean, so alcohol is bad. <laughs> you know, it's a disruptor. Yes. It definitely disrupts your sleep. Also marijuana negatively impacts your sleep in the sense that you get less REM, um, which is not good. So interesting. We had um, somebody comment who's um, watching saying that they have dementia and they wanted your thoughts on using CBD oil, um, presumably to help them sleep. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, first off, I, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just going to yeah. put that out there. But um, so basically uh, um, if you're someone, and this is why it's so hard to give just general feedback but like if you're one of these people that just has these racing thoughts for, you know, hours and the something like CBD helps you or marijuana helps you, um, you know, it might be better for you to do it than to not do it. Right. Um, I'm really interested in the CBD thing because I'm pretty sure that um, only the psychoactive aspect of cannabis is what actually um, makes you have less REM sleep. I'm still trying to understand this and explore it more, but I'm pretty sure that um, CBD wouldn't have the negative outcomes that uh, actually smoking marijuana would have in terms of disrupting your sleep quality. Okay, so um, just to, to, to round it up here, um, what is your advice to us? What's the best thing we can do to improve our sleep? Um, so having a regular schedule, um, definitely getting sunlight exposure in the morning is one of those really easy things. There's weird stuff about having an elevated temperature throughout the day, whether it's from exercising or even doing something like taking a sauna, um, can actually make you have more deep sleep. That's a weird hack. Um, and then basically, you know, just thinking about your sound environment, making sure it's a quiet, cool, um, dark place when you're sleeping. Those are all like sort of the main things you can do um, to improve your sleep quality. Now, you, you touched a little bit on ambient and sleeping aids. Um, do, do, I'm, I'm confused about this point. Do our brains go through the same process um, if you're aiding it through a pill? Is, is it the same process of sleep or is it mimicking sleep? Yeah, so, so that's one of the, that's a really great point. So that's one of the problems with some of these drugs is a lot of times you'll perceive that you're sleeping better, but um, it actually negatively impacts your sleep quality, um, some of these drugs. And that's um, 
So, so that's like the negative part of you and you'll have no conscious awareness of that. That's one of the tricky things about sleep is like people are really bad at evaluating their own sleep. It's like in our study, we'll literally like disrupt someone's sleep hundreds of times a night. We'll like play sounds like almost screaming at them. They'll have no conscious awareness at all. That's how dead we are to the world when we're sleeping sometimes. So that's, I mean, so that's the main problem with a drug like Ambien. You get this perception and that, and this, this first off, there's no long-term study that's ever shown that Ambien is a benefit. It's really meant for like jet lag and stuff like this. Um, and, and so, yeah, so it'll never negatively impact your sleep quality is, is an issue. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dan. I'm now probably thinking too much about my sleep <laughs> to get a good, hopefully I'll get a good night's sleep tonight. But that's an interesting you. point though. The more you try to sleep, the harder it is a lot of time. The more you oh, absolutely. Sleep, the I agree with that. And I, I know what that's like. And actually the more you think about it, the more awake you are in a way, right? It's, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So, but thank you for sharing this um, and, you know, raising a lot of valid points. Um, we, I'm, uh, I'll definitely try some of the things that you offered to us. Um, you have an app. Is that you mentioned the app? Where can people find the app? Yeah, it's um, called Sonic Sleep. It's, it's on the app store and it's right now uh, just for iPhone, but we're rolling out Android, Apple Watch, um, and then we're going to integrate with all of the best devices, basically. A lot of that's going to happen in the next month or two, actually. Okay, great. We'll keep our eyes out. If you get more any more insights from your research, um, please come back and let us know. Uh, we're really interested in highlighting topics around brain health uh, to help our growing audience. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. For more of these talks, um, we will keep you posted either on Brain Talks, which is our Facebook group, um, or go to beingpatient.com. That's where um, we keep all of these talks if you want to pass them on to other people or you want to revisit them again. Thanks again, Dan, for joining us, and we look forward um, to the next one. Thanks, Deborah. My pleasure.